Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's safe. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so exciting. I'm so exciting. I am so exciting, but I'm also <laughs> so excited that you tuned in to this particular episode of Employee of the Month because it's with Candace Wiggins. She was, um, she is a guard for the New York Team Liberty, part of the WNBA, and she's had an unreal career where she was chosen third overall pick in 2008, right out of Stanford um, for the NBA draft by Minnesota Lynx. She went on to do so well there, but she also has played for LA and New York. She's suffered injuries. She <laughs> deals with all of the, what I feel, and I'm sure anyone with a pulse feels, are just the embarrassments of how much money goes to the NBA players, but not the WNBA players. But I'm so glad that they keep on going because they are awesome. You've got to catch them live. And um, just to like deal with how much an Achilles tendon, she ruptured one with eight seconds remaining in a game in New York uh, for New York Liberty. That was in 2010. I mean, that, that could, that ended her season after eight games, but it could end your entire career. I mean, I just can't imagine spending your entire life um, practicing and practicing and practicing and always knowing you have that risk, but just going in. Uh, it is such a privilege to have interviewed her. I'm going to recommend you check out her essay that she did with Whitney Joyner, a journalist at Mary Claire on recollectors.com. Recollectors is a wonderful site for um, people who have lost a parent to AIDS. And we spoke about Candace's father, uh, the late Alan Wiggins, who was a um, ball player. Um, talked about all of those things and we planked it out. I planked with her. Enjoy our interview. Uh, and I will hopefully see you at a, a one of our live shows coming up. Okay, take care. Bye. Candace, I'm so, so excited to have you here. And I want to um, show you one, a clip from your most recent game. This was against the Mystics. Yes. Um, that was the third game, the third to last for the playoffs. Yeah, it was game three of the playoffs. Okay, which you guys won. We won. And you had four. Woo! <laughs> four three-pointers. You had four, four three-pointers. Yes. And we're going to see a couple of them here. Um, this is you not playing basketball. This yeah. is you just looking hot. <laughs> Me posing. Wiggins! Bounds in this series. That's her first two. Wiggins, once she starts feeling it, look out. Game two. Wiggins. Three for three from distance. Make the extra pass. That shooter's got an open shot. Wiggins. And you're going to you're going to Indiana. Are you going to Indiana? Yes, we're going to Indiana tomorrow. Okay. Well, I'm really glad you made it. We're in the Eastern Conference Finals. We're one game, one win away from the WNBA Finals. Yeah, New York has never won a WNBA championship, so it's really exciting. 
When you're, uh, you know, new to a team and everything like that, how is the politics of who gets to go in and who has to sit on the bench? Yeah, it's it's tough, you know, um, especially on this team. We have eight new players on the team, so they kind of just put us all together. The chemistry is a big part of it, you know, and I think, um, you know, you, you, there's always deference to, like, who... who you know, you don't want to step on toes when you're new. And I'm, I'm new to the locker room. You, you definitely don't want to say the wrong things or disrupt the, disrupt the chemistry. But, um, you know, now we're in the playoffs. We're in a whole new season. So it's just kind of like, you know, whoever's out there, whoever has the hot hand is going to go. So we have so much in common. You were the um, third pick. <laughs> you were the third pick for the Minnesota Lynx. Who you were Like Jordan, with. number three, like Jordan. And I was the third to last pick in kickball. Um, When did you learn that you wanted to do, not just um, play basketball, you probably knew that right away that you were very good at it, but when did you know that I want to do this for a living? Um, you know, so I was, I was 10 years old when the WNBA started. It was in 1997. And you're, and I, tw- you're 18 now? <laughs> Sorry, just no, 97. Okay. Sorry. You're so nice, Katie. I know. Um, I know. I, so I was 10 years old. So it had a really big impact on our generation. You know, we, we were the kind of the first generation we saw like, oh, wow, this actually is something you could do for a living. Um, so I would say probably 10 years old. I kind of, it's, it's weird. It's like this burden you have because you, you know, like, okay, this is a goal of mine. And now it almost becomes like, and especially if you're good, I was really good at the time. Everyone just expects you like, okay, she's going to be in the WNBA. So you just feel like you have to live up to that expectation. Um, you were a star at Stanford and I wanted to hear about your relationship with the coach there, Tara. Uh, Tara, Tara Vanderveer is like a second mother to me. Um, you know, she, it's so, she's, to me, is the absolute greatest coach in women's basketball. She coached the 96 Olympic team. And that's when I first saw Tara on a, on a grand stage. And that really was a huge impact for me because I remember being 96. And that's really what, what um, you know, made me really love basketball, seeing it in Atlanta, seeing them. They finally had this huge stage where they had 20,000 people coming to the games. And it really, it really set the stage for the WNBA. And Tara has played such a huge role. She played such a huge role in women's basketball. So I always knew that, you know, and I, and I knew, um, you know, just the impact that she had. So I, I cherished every single day, whether it was, the, it was so hard. It was just the hardest thing ever playing at Stanford and going to school and all that. But just I, I, I recognized I had kind of the wisdom to understand, like, this is special and you're going to learn so much from this woman on and off the court. And she's taught me. She's really shaped me into the woman I am today. Um, can you talk to me about, like, what it's like to be uh, owned and traded and... <laughs> Um, I don't mean by a man. I mean by, uh, you know, professional basketball. It's, it's an old system that we had in, we, <laughs> that we had in Hollywood. And, um, you know, it's still what, how sports run. Um, what is it like being at the whim of someone else? Well, it's a really odd thing because you play basketball, you play a sport, any sport, professional, you know, as an amateur, and you're just playing for fun. It's all fun. It's all fun. It was fun, fun. for you. Let's just clarify. But yeah, yeah keep going. You were well, not you in know, gym class with me. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed <laughs> to be pure, and you're just playing the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, and for me, the WNBA draft in 2008, which is the year I, I graduated, was 
the day it was the day after the championship game. So Stanford, we made it to the finals. We played Tennessee in the national championship game. We lost. The very next morning, I get drafted. So I didn't even have any time to even think like, what's going on and realize that my whole life was gonna change. So we have the championship game that night. The next morning, I just drive and I go to the draft and they're like, you're getting drafted to Minnesota. Yeah, you know, it's, you're just like, it's just crazy. You're, and then, you know, you don't even have time to think. And all of a sudden you sign a contract and you just, you basically, you know, you kind of sign your soul away a little bit, you know, in terms of, you know, you, you're, it's exciting. This is what you've lived your whole life for, but you don't really understand the business side of it. And then it be, doesn't become, it's not it's not necessarily fun anymore. It's It's a business now. And now you are expected to perform and you are expected to do these things and you just kind of forget like well what am i doing you you lose yourself a little bit well and even maybe you can talk a little about about you know spending um a long time on the bench on a certain team or i'm just talking hypothetically but yeah you know well that's the thing i'm not talking hypothetically (laughs) what was it like to you know get on a team and have to sit on a bench Right. So when I got drafted, I got drafted to Minnesota and it was a team. And I remember them telling me, well, they don't really need a guard. You know, it, it's it just becomes, like I said, the business side of it. Minnesota had just signed. She's a friend of mine, but Anna DeForge, who was this all star and they signed her. She plays my position. She's all upset now. Why did you draft Wiggins? And it's my position. So, you know, I remember just feeling all this tension, you know, and you're just kind of like, you know, she's a veteran, she was an all-star, she was proven, and then I'm coming in here and then she just feels like I'm, you know, taking her spot. And um, it, 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 it was just, it's just, it's a lot of tension and it was confusing for me because it, you know, the business and the personal side, it really affects, you know, the team dynamics. And I had just come from a team where I was the leader and, you know, Tar, I, I understood the system and then you're in a whole different world. And, um, you know, but my first year I was able, I got six women of the year. So I kind of just took that role and I said, you know what, I'm going to make the best of it. If I come off the bench, you know, I, I just saw, I always see the positive and everything. So I just saw it as, well, when I get in the game, I'm playing against all their starters. They're tired. You know, I just took advantage of it. So, you know, I never really let anything get to me, but at, at a certain point, you know, it, it is difficult. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit and um, talk about... Well, actually, before we go back, um, so I came to one of your games, and you guys had to take a bus that night yeah. to D.C. Yeah. Do the NBA, do they take a bus, too? <laughs> uh, no, I don't know what the NBA does. I know they have the private planes that we don't have. Why you know. is there a difference between the WNBA and the NBA? Oh, man. How much time do we have? I don't want to take you know. everybody's time. <laughs> There are so many differences, you know, and there's, first of all, there's just different dynamics uh, between women and men, what women can do and what men can do. We were not genetically... I'm pretty sure you could take a private plane if someone offered it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I agree. You know, it's... I, I you know, I was my eighth season in the WNBA, and I still don't really understand. There's things that I just don't understand, but it's just, it is what it is, you know, and... Um, I, you know, I, I just, I feel like we're, we're kind of like um, in this position where, you know, we, we've survived so long. You know, next season will be the 20th anniversary of the WNBA. Can you believe that? 20 years. 
And it's taken a lifetime for me to get here, you know, to the point where I'm just kind of like, okay, on one hand, you're really upset that there's so much inequality and it's just, it's screaming at you. But then on another hand, you're like, we're still here, you know, and a lot of people thought that the WNBA would fold year after year after year. I was, a, as a little girl growing up, I would hear all these stories about the WNBA is going to be over. It's not going to happen. It's going to not exist. And the fact that it's still existing and, and it's, you know, that is really what it's about. We're just, we're in survival mode. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Well, if there's anyone who's going to survive, it is you. Um, I want to ask you, you know, your father, the, the late Alan Wiggins, was a professional ball player. And um, he, I want to hear about how, growing up, um, knowing that your father had been this professional player and how it impacted you to decide to go into this, even knowing what he went through. Well, my brother, he played professional baseball and, you know, it was, he was, he led the Padres to their first ever World Series in 1984. He was the leadoff hitter and he still has records that haven't, you know, and that haven't even been broken today. And, you know, I just kind of, I remember reading his baseball cards because a lot of, you know, he passed in 1991. So a lot of my memories of him are on, I would read his baseball cards and kind of just read things about him. And I remember one, one card vividly was saying, a comment from a general manager and they said, Alan Wiggins is the fastest man I've ever seen on two legs. And I remember reading that like, oh my gosh, that's my dad, you know? So it's just those genes that carry over to you, to me, that I that, that really influenced me, I think, just in terms of keeping that legacy. And, um, you know, my mom would always tell me that my dad was like, they called him Mr. Entertainment. So there's just, you know, there's something that in sports, you know, a lot of times it's, it is hard work, but a lot of times it is just genetics, you know? And I knew that I was always born with a gift and I just did not want to squander that. And, you know, um, so I would, I would say that's, that's probably it. But unlike uh, most descendants of someone talented, or I wouldn't say most, I'd just say in your particular circumstance, I mean, your, your father also died a very tragic death and dealt with addiction. Yes. And, um, you know, you also got to see the very dark sides of professional sports and what it was like um, to be a black man in baseball. And, and yes. I wanted to hear, you know, growing up with a keen understanding of the pitfalls um, in the worst way possible and seeing who shows up for the funeral and who's there. Yes. Um, you know, how, what impact that had on you? Well, it's huge. You know, I always say this. My life really began where my dad's ended, you know, and it's crazy. I remember the funeral like it was yesterday. And, you know, it's it's for me, it, it's crazy because, you know, you kind of take you take a step back. And as a three, four, I was turning four years old, you know, and then you start to kind of piece things together. You don't look at life the way that most people look at life. And like you had mentioned, you know, in terms of people who showed up at his funeral even. And, you know, my dad, he died from AIDS. So in 1991, it was January of 1991. This was 10 months before Magic even made his announcement. I mean, the world was such a different place. And so I think that, you know, I definitely did see things differently. I definitely had a different type of of purpose about the way that I that I chose to continue my life and it really took a huge it, it it really set a foundation for me as I played and I remember just feeling different from other kids because it's just like I feel like I had this knowledge and I had this understanding of life you know and I just I saw I remember they didn't want us to see it but I went we went my brother my sister and I 
And we went to the, the casket. And I remember going to the casket, peering at him and looking at his casket and just being like, whoa, like game over. You know, and he was like 70 pounds and he was covered with lesions. And I just remember just seeing death and just looking at it and just being like, wow, like just understanding that it's life is much more deeper than, than I could ever imagine. And from this, you've talked about the impact magic Johnson had in your life in a beautiful essay that's on Recollectors, and I want to encourage people to go to recollectors.com, yes. which is a phenomenal group started by Whitney Joyner, who's in the audience, and it brings together yeah. people who um, are survivors, their parents, um, one parent or maybe both, um, had HIV or AIDS, and I, I strongly recommend you checking out Recollectors and your essay um, on it, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, your foundation, and um, by foundation, I mean your actual foundation. Not, uh, your makeup looks great, but... <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, I was... You know, you mentioned Magic Johnson, so it was really cool. Like, last season, I played for the Los Angeles Sparks, and they are owned by Magic. Magic bought the team, and, um, you know, being able to kind of talk to Magic, because... 1991 was the year that when he when he announced he was HIV positive, my mo that was the year my mother was like, okay, she didn't really know what to do. There was a huge stigma. There was all this, you know, going on in in the baseball world about my dad. She's like, I'm gonna sign up my three kids for basketball, and Magic really really solidified that. And in in our he, we became we went from being a baseball family to being a basketball family overnight. So it was really crazy last season to be able to look at Magic, have a meeting with him, and just kind of just tell him, like, listen, this is, you really brought me here. And, and so um, with through his the Magic Johnson Foundation, I was able to connect once I got to New York of, um, you know, just uh, with Iris House, which is based in Harlem. And um, it's a really amazing organization. And they house women who are living with HIV and they just do so much work. And um, so I've been able to partner with them. And, um, you know, so it was it was just it's incredible. It's incredible what where my life has kind of taken me. I'm, it's so beautiful to hear how you took something that sounded very pa painful and, and um, that you had to deal with alone for so long and um, be able to connect with all of these people who are also dealing with this right now. Absolutely. It was crazy. I went to visit the Iris house and I got to share, you know, my story and then they are sharing all their stories. And, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned in my life, you know, my, in, in the years is I've seen just the whole how society has shifted in 20 years. It's, it's taken me a lifetime. It's really crazy. It's taken me an entire lifetime to understand and recognize and, and see the beauty of life and see how people can change. And it's, it's about empathy. It's about compassion. It's about caring for souls. It's about seeing, you know, seeing deeper into circumstances that you ever could imagine. And it's, like I said, it's taken me a lifetime to get there. But when I was able to go to Iris House, I really, really understood that. And I care for souls like I've never cared before in my life. Speaking about caring for souls, um, your parents fell in love in middle school. What the hell is it like <laughs> dating as a uh, pro WNBA player? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Man, it is tough. You know, it is not... I totally... As a WNBA player, I get it. <laughs> you know, it's really crazy, you know, because you... You know, there's there's a lifestyle that comes with being a professional athlete. Tell us. Tell You're us. going in different cities all the time, mm -hmm. and 
you know, it's 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 interesting because the dynamic, like women, we're not engineered the same way men are you know what i'm saying so to be in such like a masculine type of lifestyle where you're just going all over the place it, i think it could be intimidating for guys you know so i i intimidate guys left and right so <laughs> i know I you totally do, okay, get it i, I get know it. i know you get me you totally understand <laughs> and um so for me it's like it's tough because you know you you you're never really like down stuck in one place yeah. to be able to you know, sometimes I almost wish that I, you know, could just be in one air, one place. I think I would be, you know, all my friends are getting married and I'm just like seeing, you know, seeing time go by. But um, New you know, York, I have to say, I like the, the scene in New York. It is okay to be single here. It hey, is okay to date whoever you want. Leave it to my band. Yes, Andrew. So, Thank you. we can't. Well, five, San Francisco. San Francisco. Oh, yes. Every time, every time the band goes home with at least one Keep number. Um, I bet you are. Okay, so listen, I want to do one thing. Um, we can't do a, a um, dribble off because I can only dribble, uh, you know, <laughs> water out of my mouth. But, but, um, but we're going to do a one-handed um, yeah, plank. Ups. Okay, let's see oh, who lasts thanks. longer. Planks. Okay, I had to take the jacket off. A really round, warm hand for Candace Wagons. Count, okay. Yeah, can we have a little plank music, guys? Can we? Uh, something very peaceful. Um, you're gonna get on your mark. Get set. Women plank. They're starting off with a side plank. This is not an easy thing. I guess they're just gonna hold that there. You can notice that Katie, oh, raising the stakes. This is Candace Wiggins, okay, in a dress. Uh-oh, we're getting a little wobbly back there. Uh-huh, yeah, doing side tree. This could last a while, people. Because Katie's been taking lessons with Tara Brock. Oh, she's going in for the one, uh-huh. It's not getting you extra points. You can't do that in yoga. <laughs> Somebody get her a burger. Solid as a tree back here. That's Candace Wiggins. She, she hurts her shoulder and uh, has trouble in Indiana tomorrow. This is going to be all your fault, Katie. We're going to give it five more seconds and then you both win. Five. Four, three, two, one! Only one of those was surprising. <laughs> hey, before Candace heads off and she's gonna come back at the end, I got you for, I got you a chocolate. Do you eat chocolate? Are you loud? Okay, Absolutely. Good. Okay, good. And uh, for the days that you're hating your job, 50 jobs worse than yours. Yeah. I need this. <laughs> Thank you so, so much to Candace Wayne. We're all going to wish you luck Thank in the you. finals. Yes. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. All right, you guys, keep it going for Candace.
great work. You really enjoyed the show? Absolutely. <laughs> I like all of your voices. I, it makes me feel like I want to do voices. Um, thank you to Jelly D. Thank you to Ian Mazoff. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please continue to check out the show. And you can check me out at it Katie Lazarus at Katie Lazarus. I don't know what it Katie Lazarus, but at Katie Lazarus. And what about you, Jelly D? You can check me out at, at Jelly D on the Twits. And also at meetaninmate.com. You can also find him there. Exactly. Thank you all for listening and can't wait to talk to you at the next episode. We have so many more coming up, so please stay tuned. <laughs>